0: This summer, there is a huge soccer tournament, David. Maybe you've heard of it. Unfortunately, the United States men's team did not make it. Uh, But Iceland did. Yeah. And since we can't cheer for the U.S. this summer, David, let us raise a glass of Reika Vodka and cheer for Iceland. Go to reyka.com, R-E-Y-K-A.com to get Team Iceland gear and find a viewing party near you. Real fans drink responsibly. Reyka vodka, 40% alcohol by volume. 80 proof, distilled from grain. Copyright 2018, William & Grant Sons, New York, New York. David, we're going to talk about Bill Clinton and James Patterson in their me too book tour. <laughs> but first I want to ask which famous thriller writer would you want to be your co-writer?
1: Does he have to be alive? No, I think I think the whole you have the whole history of the thriller. whole history? If I was going to go, ooh, this is really hard. I mean, listen, James Patterson <laughs> it would not be on my list, but I got to give him credit. He'd get it done for sure. Yes.
0: He would write like six books with you.
1: Um, yeah, um. Yeah, this is going to sound like we're like aping the watch, but we have a lot of we have a lot of interest in common. Uh, George Palicano as far as living guys goes, definitely up there on the list. Richard mm. Richard Price. I'm not sure but I'm not it's sure. High tone. Richard Price might be a little bit too ponderous I think for uh, uh to to just be a co-writer. Um you know, my old favorites are like Charles Williford and James Crumley. I like those guys. Again, a little maybe too much of a stylist. I think I'm gonna go with John D. McDonald, one of oh. my favorite, just like like, you know, dime store paperback writers. Yeah, wrote Cape Fear and a lot of other stuff, but he's really fantastic.
0: I thought about Lee Child, you know, kind of Oh yeah. You know, unadorned and unsparing, but that's not really me. <laughs> uh, Dan Brown, too religious. <laughs> I've never thought about the sacred feminine in my real life. So I think I'm gonna go with Michael Crichton. I'm going to fish from the the dead thriller writers. You know, it's sort of like stiff and kind of bland, but oddly effective.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's
0: kind of what I go for, you know, in in real life. (laughs) Speaking of which, The Press Box, stiff and bland and oddly effective, is part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to call The Ringer an online media outlet. (laughs) (laughs) We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. The uh our friend, David, did you know this? Our friend Chris Sollentrop in the early days of Slate was called by a newspaper one online political wag when they <laughs> quoted him. That's what I, lo- I love euphemisms.
1: That's fantastic. I
0: love, I love this. Like I will not give this website the dignity of naming it. <laughs> we have been gone for a week. Uh thank you for bearing with us. And I my voice and apologies for my voice, which sounds like I've been standing in the rain for the last week, but uh we will do our best. Uh, in terms of Ringer content, please read everything we are writing about the NBA Finals and uh. read it now because it may be over very soon. <laughs> Bill Simmons is throwing out all kinds of amazing guests uh, on his podcast from from the road, as it were, as he works on this HBO project. You can also check out Kevin O'Connor and John Gonzalez in several different forms from the Finals. Uh, I would also recommend our Kanye reviews, right? Oh yeah, Lindsey lads, Sean Fennessy, and Micah Peters. Am I missing anything, David?
1: Um, there's been a lot of stuff. I know Mike is talking about it on his podcast this week on Shuffle. Good show.
0: Good show. But today, David, we have been gone so long. It was media news, Infinity War. Yeah. So I, I figure we'll just drop the usual format here and just talk about a bunch of Let's stuff. Let's talk
1: about as much as we can. Let's, Let's
0: just do it. All right, here we go. Number one, Donald Trump and the Eagles. number two the nba scandal known as burner gate or woodergate number three bill clinton's me too book tour number four pablo bomani will also hit the sitcom suicides of roseanne and arrested development and finally a note on nba press conferences or how to blow off the media while wearing shorts
1: and if anything breaks in the next 45 (laughs) minutes we'll cover that too
0: (laughs) plus as always our overworked twitter joke of the week all right david but first we had been Gone 24 hours without a Donald Trump scandal. So we woke up this morning, <laughs> or it was the last night, I guess, and looked at the and looked at Twitter and we're like, oh boy, here we are. It is no surprise this is happening, right? Oh, yeah. It's also no surprise that he has turned a team like the Eagles, which had did not have one player kneel during the anthem last year, into a political prop because we know that Trump cares more about the political point in this case than hashtag the troops.
1: Or care is not interested in distinguishing between the political whatever's on his mind. By blending them together, right? Here's what
0: I find amazing. Trump has taken a pointless political ritual of the White House visit and turned it into a different pointless political ritual, Mm -hmm. which is the White House visit cancellation. (laughs) Right? This is like, this is like bizarro world every president until now. Yeah. I am going to disinvite the champs from the White House because... That just benefits me politically, just like the old visit did for other presidents. Sure. That's so weird. It, yeah. I guess oddly effective in, you know, Trump we'll see. Fox News We'll
1: see. I mean, I, f- I feel like having any sort of disagreement with the Philadelphia Eagles in any sort of traditional political landscape can't be seen. I mean, would never be seen as a positive. Yeah. Pennsylvania a, also an important state. That's what I mean. I mean, in it's 2020, a, right? It's a, it's a bit like it's, you know, it's, The Eagles fans and Trump voters have a lot of uh, I mean, have a lot of overlay, you know, have have a lot of share a lot of common people. And and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not a it's not a smart move. I mean, I just don't think Trump's particularly, you know, like I said, he's not interested in the distinction between uh, Colin Kaepernick and literally every player on the (laughs) Eagles. Um, He just—it's not—he doesn't watch. I mean, it's—it's hard to imagine Trump watches football and or and enjoys. I I think he watches
0: football, but I think he's the ultimate low information fan.
1: Yeah, and he's like
0: that Tom Brady. He's great. Yeah, that's that's Trump watching a football game.
1: Yeah, and I just think that he's that he he thinks he has he thinks he has a great you know uh, he's got a he's got a political win and just dogging the NFL and it's I think he's missing missing the the fact that it's you know kind of specific people he should be kind of inanely targeting instead. I was gonna say, if you
0: had to target somebody,
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you don't have to target anybody. But so the ba- so the background of this story is that it all sort of broke today all at once. That it, it seemed like the the White House was announcing that the Eagles weren't going to come for their traditional Super Bowl winning visit, <laughs> but they were also sort of disinviting them in the same breath. Like it was, no one was quite sure what was going on. Then the White House releases the official their official TikTok, which is basically that they, which is weird. The one that this, this is a statement signed by Trump. That switches tense a couple of times. Yeah, and calls
0: himself and talks about himself as your president. Yeah, this is like, <laughs> it could
1: not have been more disorganized. Annie Carney actually was the first thing that I saw with the news, where she said, last Thursday, the Eagles submitted 70 names to attend. On Friday, the Eagles tried to reschedule the event for the for a day or days when, when the president was going to be in Singapore. On Monday, they said the group available uh, on the pre-planned date would only be two or three players plus the owner, Plus the mascot.
0: <laughs> so it's going to be like Nick Foles and the Eagle. Yeah. And Jeffrey Lurie, who is wildly anti Trump.
1: Yes. Yeah. Was
0: captured in that New York Times story bashing Trump at an owner's meeting.
1: Yeah. And uh, that,
0: sounds, that sounds even more awkward, actually. Yes. There's oh, safety yeah, yeah. in numbers, right? To have like 40 guys. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Although as excited as Trump was to get that giant envelope from North Korea this week, I, he probably would have loved hugging the Eagles. Matt, what's the Eagles mascot's name? No, no, I feel no, like we I'll, should know this. I'll look it up. And then subsequent to that, the Eagles released a sort of amazing statement. Oh, so the White House releases that. Uh, that one of the the most interesting line is, despite sensing a lack of good faith, nonetheless <laughs> attempted to work with the Eagles over the weekend to change the event. I love that there there was probably a first draft of this where they were just like. It doesn't seem like the Eagles are the villains in this yet. What can we do to sort of twist it? Then later, okay, so they the White House release a, a fairly antagonistic response to this, so far as these things go. And then the Eagles release a formal response, which is, quote, It has been incredibly thrilling to celebrate our first Super Bowl championship. Watching the entire Eagles community come together has been an inspiration. We are truly grateful for all of the support we have received, and we are looking forward to continuing our preparations for the 2018 season. Just totally above the fray or in denial of the fray. I'm it sounds kind of sure. presidential. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly right.
0: It is, uh, that is so weird. By the way, the, Eagle, the Philadelphia Eagles mascot's name is Swoop. Swoop, yes, of course. Um, who is going to be the LeBron of this controversy that sends the U-bum tweet about the Eagles? Can you imagine, by the way, if Tom Brady? Now we know for a lot of reasons, Tom Brady will probably not be sending the "you bum" tweet to Trump. Yeah, but if he did, would that be the story of our lifetime? Would that just activate every single member of the media, sports, or
1: otherwise? Yeah, I mean that we we're we're gonna go from a from a ten a ten item episode of the press box to a one item episode of the press box <laughs> next week. I mean,
0: first of all, it it'll, put, it'll two, last uh, like t- ten hours. Two,
1: two names bear mention. One is Zach Ertz, who while well, he didn't go after the president or anything involved, he did go after Fox News, who uh accidentally i guess used photo fo- f- photo you know s- stock photos of a pregame prayer in which the eagles players were kneeling oh o- sure o- as they discussed the kneeling controversy by the way no eagles players kneeled not last <laughs> year they so a couple of them raised their fists okay. nobody kneeled so you know,
0: it is not disrespectful to kneel during prayer no absolutely lots of, lots of god-fearing americans do that and fox had issued a formal
1: apology for that okay uh but I think that, I mean, the, the other person that bears in this conversation is LeBron James, who, while he didn't send out a you bum tweet, did say and when went asked that that neither the Warriors nor the Cavs were, are going to attend the White House after winning the championship <laughs> this year. And it's silly to even talk about it. There you go. So it's done. Yeah. <laughs> that, that conversation is over before it began. When
0: he has preemptively canceled the visit. Sure. He didn't I, give Trump the chance, right? Yeah.
1: Heaven forbid any the Warriors are really eager to go if they take it. <laughs> All right, David, this hurry up offense press box, right? We're done. Ooh, ooh.
0: Next. Number two. So last week, I am on the set of the new Pablo and Bomani show. Yeah. On the East Coast, I'm reporting. I'm a Mr. Media Reporter Man wearing a fedora mm-hmm. with little things that ringer in it,
1: in <laughs> the headband
0: there. And I'm sitting there, I'm ready, you know, take notes, capture the scene, as they say. And the whole A block, the first segment is about the ringer story about Brian Calangelo. And I'm like, Oh my god, you know, on the one hand you're you're nervous, you're excited to report. On the other hand, oh my god, this is now becoming a human centipede of yeah, this content. Is, right? the, Here we yeah. go.
1: This is this is sports media yes. inception now, go. <laughs>
0: yes, I am so excited. Here's what interests me about this. We've talked this story to death. Everyone else has for the last mm-hmm. couple of days. Why is this such a big story? I'm happy it is. I really am on The Ringer's behalf. Oh, sure. But I think in if I had told you this were happening before it was released, I think you and I might have both underestimated how
1: big it was. I was sitting, I, don't, I mean, at the... At the... You know, I'm, I might be saying too much, but like I was, <laughs> I was sitting in the office in which pub, the the publish button was pressed when this went live. Um, and you know, we were just kind of going over the last few things. I, as art director, and there was you know a, a a staff of, I mean, people that that Chris Ryan has has spoken of, you know, has has thanked in in the, his podcast and and everything else. The kind of core staff that was making the last all the final tweaks and and the decision to print. And there was a minute where. Chris and I, and I think I think our copy chief Craig Gaines were just kind of said, "I wonder if this will just be nothing." Yeah, and we could kind of talk ourselves into it, you know, like because because it, it like you're so in the weeds, and we and this this story, you know, and I was not intimately involved in the production of it, but this is the sort of story where you have to work really hard to stay out of the weeds, right? To look at it from every angle as you're going along. Absolutely, and um, and but at that point, we were all just kind of. You know, you just talk it to death and you're just like, at that point, it, we'd kind of gone through the, you know, gone through the, the, the mirror and come back out the other side that we were just like, yeah, maybe it'll be nothing. You know, maybe it'll just be a funny story. And it'll get a couple of likes on Reddit and that'll be the end of it. Um, that said, I don't think any of us believe that, but we like entertain that possibility. It It is, it is, it got, and then it was way bigger than anybody could have thought. Oh my gosh.
0: I mean, it was just that night. And again, I'm still sitting in a hotel room and it was just like, Alarms going off, people calling me. Mm-hmm. No, no role in the production of it at all. There's a lot of that around the ringer. C- credit to first of all to Ben Dietrich. Uh, don't want to don't want to diminish it at all. It just strikes me. I mean, one we we've had a conversation on this pod before about NBA Twitter, right? Yeah. NBA Twitter, you just you just chum that water, right? And mm-hmm. NBA Twitter gets excited. This is a big story. I think another part of this that's so fascinating to me. There's obviously the Hinky CoAngelo stuff, yeah, which is mostly. As it relates to the story, just like the greatest of all conspiracy theories at this point. Yeah. I think the other thing is, though, that people like Woj create this atmosphere in NBA reporting where everything is off the record. It's all sources say, right? Mm -hmm. It's all this, you know, there's this whole, you know, backstage element of the NBA where all the really exciting stuff happens. Yeah. Then you get a piece like this that just reveals just a little bit of the curtain, right? Mm And you're like, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, right? This is, this is the world I've been led to believe exists, and here it is. Here's a tiny window into it, and it just blows people's minds. It yeah, it's like, yeah, if the word is stylistically, aesthetically, with what we kind of uh-huh. conditioned ourselves to think NBA reporting is. Yeah. Yeah, something I, like
1: that. I mean, specifically to Woj, I think that the piece was buoyed uh, pretty significantly by the fact that he jumped in really quickly with a couple of tweets. One of which said, "You know, the biggest problem Colangelo is going to have is that whoever is tweeting this stuff is revealing a, pr- a point of view that Colangelo has himself." You know, uh, 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 <laughs> said in, privately. Said yeah. privately, yeah. Um, and I think that 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 work. I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at the Woj tweet on another level. I think that you're right about NBA Twitter. That's really significant, but it's also the. Uh, whatever, whatever the ringer's place is in this ecosystem, that it was sort of that we sort of um and the the ringer and the story and whatever else that this could have just been if this had popped up on NBA Reddit, then then Woj wouldn't have commented. Everyone else, you know, all these other basketball writers would have been making jokes all night. Totally. But that there was, you know, that we sort of legitimized it enough so that Woj had to respond. everybody's sort of saying, well, here's what my point of view is based on my sources. Then Sports Center's covering it, and it just everything snowballs. This
0: is the deep state of the NBA.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That no, is that
0: is the appeal here.
1: It's really it's it's really nuts, and I think yeah, getting into I mean the fact that Woj uh, dignified it was one thing. The fact that he but and I don't mean this is a knock, but the fact that he, you know, that his first response was, "Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff I'm not telling you." I know. Oh what? yeah. Um, and there's and everybody and every reporter does that, and there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, you can be the greatest you know, information nihilist out there, but there's still things you're going to sort of back pocket, you know, for fear of uh, repercussion or, or just for lack of sourcing. I want to be an information nihilist someday. Yeah. That's something to aspire to. It is amazing. Also,
0: I think the, um, you know, then the statement from the Sixers the next day saying it's an investigation, right? There was sort of a, you know, a couple of sort of denials that night. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the next day, of we are investigating, yeah, meaning which essentially means this is something, you know, this is this is a thing, uh-huh. you know, it's going to go somewhere, yeah. And the answer isn't going to be a. The answer almost certainly is not. Gonna be, we had nothing to do with it. You it's know? very,
1: I mean, but it's very rare that you have a situation like this when there's like a PR problem and like a, a political, so an internal political problem. That I mean, it's not rare, but there they are. I mean, the Sixers are in a really weird position of having to deal with this, not just from a outside perception standpoint. Whether or not this is true, how it affects, whether this is actionable, you know, wh- how this affects, you know, the, the perception of the team. But also, like, just functionally, some of the stuff that was in some of those Twitter timelines makes it really hard for someone like Langeley to do his job if, in fact, you know, it's yeah. tied back to him. And
0: I felt like Joel Embiid's tweets brought that home, mm-hmm. right? Because when he jumped in that night, that brought in the, oh, my gosh. You, you can't just deny this and then we move on.
1: No. Right. And, 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 and Embiid, he is
0: saying, you know, in not so many words yeah. that this isn't going to work. And in right?
1: and, and Bede's presence, I should have mentioned him earlier, was just as every bit as significant as Woj and, and, you know, the sort of power players ESPN. And because there are a lot of these stories that don't that we don't see any evidence that this is trickled down to the to the actual, you know, rosters of teams. As poli- as not politically as 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 socially social medialy active <laughs> as some of these players. I mean, as many many most players are now. There's still a lot of these a lot of stories that just you don't see any any clapback on unless it's directly like fill in the blank is a is a you know onus to their team and they'll just be like lol you know. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: But that's that's the all purpose. Like, yeah, but but I'm the, aware of this.
1: But it, the fact that Embiid engaged in the, the very Joel Embiid basketball Twitter level of just sort of, you know, just, you know, guffawing at it and making other, making his own jokes that that changed the narrative, too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Also, Quangelo being at the the not the enemy of the process, but the the guy who flattened out the process. Right. Who inherited Sam, what Sam Hinkie did. Right. That just activates NBA writers and Twitter people in a specific way,
1: right? Colangelo is not in a good, I mean, yes, he, he's got to be the, like, with the exception of maybe, like, Vlade Divac, but, he, but Vlade's at least got, like, got some, you know, comedy on his side, you yep. know, and people are inclined <laughs> to like him just for a lot of other reasons. Um, Colangelo is in the most just uncomfortable situation of any GM because of, I mean, just in terms of basketball Twitter, in terms of the way that basketball media works right now, so on the one hand, you could see why, you know, this insecurity would get to you. But on the other hand, it's like, you, you know, you, he's just a sitting duck for this kind of story in some ways.
0: All right, David, now it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week. or two weeks in this case where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. A little catch up, a little fast forward for you. here. All right. The Washington Capitals are up 3-1 in the Stanley Cup finals against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Are you aware that this is happening?
1: Uh, ve- dimly, Vaguely, yes. Yeah. yes.
0: So it was an overworked Twitter joke to say, quote, so the Stanley Cup finals will pit Sin City, a den of vice and corruption, where the worst of the worst gather against Las Vegas.
1: <laughs> kind of
0: a nice little, hey, there. I like it. Well, I got that from Mark Giannato, Chauncey Talese, John Soloway, and Jeremy Montgomery. All those people. <laughs> <that joke. laughs> it was a big one this week. Wow. From the Department of Bad Puns. After J.R. Smith's brain fart in Game 1 of the NBA Finals, uh, it was an overword Twitter joke to say, who's shot J.R.? Oh, that is fantastic. And, it's, and you realize we've lived most of our life with Dallas puns? I, mean, I think nice. our lives
1: have basically been framed, at least, you know, <laughs> it began with Dallas puns, yeah.
0: Same department of bad puns after the cancellation of the TV series, Roseanne, Roseanne Bard. Yeah. she is barred.
1: That does not. That does not get my my
0: applause. Those come from Yogan, Benjamin Howard, Blake Crispin, and Nathan Young. Also about Roseanne, you'll remember that she blamed Ambien for her odd tweets. Right to
1: go on yes.
0: <laughs> right. I I cannot. This does not seem like an overworked Twitter joke. But just search Twitter, and I promise you. A hundred versions of this. This is where everybody's mind went. Hitler didn't mean to invade Poland. He was on ambient, and it's it's Hitler and Poland. I mean, like (laughs) Hitler, something else. That's I just would never have thought to go there. That is all over no. Twitter.
1: Are we sure those are real people, are organic, organic joke makers, I think or is so. that is this are these bots that the, are just copying good good tweets to make to get on the press box?
0: In a related story, I lost the person who sent me that one, so so maybe it was a bot. Thank you, bot, or real person who sent <laughs> that one. And finally, on Roseanne, David. Uh, it resulted, as you know, in the cancel—the immediate cancellation mm. of ABC's rebooted hit show. Yeah. It was an overworked Twitter joke to say, "Man, why couldn't the big ba- Why couldn't the Big Bang Theory cast also tweet something <laughs> racist?" <laughs> All right, David, Before talking about Bill Clinton and Roseanne, the aforementioned, let's take a brief commercial break. Burrow has truly reinvented. The Luxury Couch, bringing style and comfort to a whole new level. Burrow sofas are handcrafted in the same factories as other high-end retailers, but Burrow delivers them for much less. Their innovative, award-winning design allows for multi-hour Netflix binges, triple-header game days, and late-night work sessions. I know which one of those three I'll be doing. Customize your Burrow sofa to match your style by selecting size, color, armrest height, and the leg color that's perfect for you. Shipping is fast and free, and there's even a built-in USB charger. Enjoy 30 days of co on on your comfortable burrow, risk-free, or try out burrow at one of their partner showrooms today. One of the ringer offices recently upgraded to a burrow couch, and it is incredibly comfortable. Go customize your burrow and get 75 bucks off your order by going to burrow.com slash pressbox. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash pressbox for $75 off your purchase. Burrow makes the luxury couch for real life. All right, David. Here is former President Bill Clinton on the Today Show with reporter Craig Melvin.
1: You've apologized.
0: To her. I apologize to everybody in the world. It is important to me that everybody who has been hurt know that the sorrow I feel is genuine. First and most important, my family, Monica Lewinsky and her family. But you didn't apologize to her. I have not talked to her. Do you I, feel I, like I you owe it, her an apology? No, I do. I, I, I do not, I've never talked to her, but I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. That's very different. The apology was public. And
1: you don't think a private apology is owed?
0: I think this thing has been, it's 20 years ago. Come on. Let's talk about JFK.
1: Let's talk about, you know, LBJ. Stop already.
0: I don't think, President. you think President Kennedy should have resigned? Do you believe President Johnson should have resigned? Uh, Someone should ask you these questions because of the way you formulate the questions. I dealt with it 20 years ago plus, and the American people, two-thirds of them stayed with me, and I've tried to do a good job since then with my life and with my work. That's all I have to say to you. So, David, I have two reactions to that. One is that my voice sounds a lot like Bill Clinton's. (laughs) (laughs) second, and most importantly, Bill Clinton is saying, I have been subjected to double jeopardy, right? I was prosecuted by Ken Starr in the media 20 years ago. Yeah. You don't get to do it again. Mm -hmm. But what Melvin is pointing out is that the world has changed since then, right? Mm -hmm. These are different. This is not the charge you were necessarily prosecuted on before. Sure. Before it was, you had an affair. You're bad, right? Now it is, oh, no, no, let's talk about the terms of that affair. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what, what consent means when it is a White House intern and you're the leader of the free world. Yeah, um, Fascinating stuff, right? And I, I, I don't feel much sympathy for Bill Clinton, by the way, in this, in, in, in this and in that churlish kind of strange response. He went on to cite the number of women who he had employed in, in you know, various parts of government. As if, you know, making Janet Reno the attorney general would make up, (laughs) would solve this problem for him. But it's fascinating, right?
1: Yeah. listeners of the show will know we previously discussed the fact that I've worked in book publishing uh, prior to working at The Ringer for some time. But I don't have any book publishing insight for this. I don't want to sound like (laughs) this is some like I know how this stuff works. But on a practical human, we all have jobs level. How they decided to let him go in front of a camera, Clinton. Cl- Clinton, in this moment, at this moment in time, well, that full stop. But also, if you're determined to do it, because any, you know, the most like but the lightweight interview, whatever situations. If if he if he if they stick exclusively to like. Parade magazine covers and stuff like that, <laughs> sure. But like, but even, but how do you not? How do you not know this is conceivably coming?
0: So Brian Stelter said in his newsletter that they were ready for Lewinsky questions. Uh-huh. I think they weren't ready to be pushed, perhaps, at to this point about it, or to come in. Because what he said was, if you notice, kind of what he said is he's not, he's upset about the way the question was asked. I think, yeah, right. That's, that's the, uh, that's what was so interesting about it. It's not, you know, in the era of me too, do you think about Monica Lewinsky differently? Right. Mm -hmm. He's being, you know, he specifically asked, did you apologize to Mm -hmm. her? Did you have like a conversation with her? And he says, no, He, he says, yes, I did. Which is that general apology he offered to the world. But I think, I just think that it's funny because he's, we know Bill Clinton to be both Incredibly slick and also incred- can be incredibly uh, snappish, you know, and withholding.
1: Well, that's, yeah, that's and the second one the came big out. Thing
0: here. Yeah. And by the way, the third voice in that was the thriller writer James Patterson, who was weirdly, of all the jobs he's had in his life, having to play referee and mention LBJ's and John Kennedy's affairs on a national television show. Right. It's so wild. It's really funny because this. So this this came up in the press. Monica Lewinsky writes a piece in Vanity Fair in February, mm-hmm. and she and wrote a very judicious piece about. It. She she has wrote that she'd said all along this was a consensual affair. Yeah, this was. I have always. I have maintained that people have because the right wing has has said lots of things about Bill Clinton's sex life, right? Mm-hmm. Many many times that it was not. She says this is this was a consensual affair, but then she said, you know what. During the Me Too era, I began to look at it differently because I began to look at it about different issues of power. Yeah. She doesn't come to any conclusions, but she talks about it. Mm-hmm. And and guess what? The world changed. Right? The world is not what it was in as messed up as it was in 1998. Yeah, it is. It is a lot different now. And I just think that's this is Bill Clinton saying, "You you don't get another crack at me. At this I'm I'm beloved. I'm beloved ex president now. Yeah, who shows up after like hurricanes and stuff,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the media kind of going, eh, not so much."
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the this sort of second wave. I mean, I think I, this sort of second wave of uh, there was a Bill Murray article the other day. It was a little, a brief little blog, blog hubbub about him not really understanding what what Harvey Weinstein had been accused of, and there have been a couple of other things about. Um, I mean, I guess Jason Bateman's not in that category, but there was a, the but bit, you know there was a lot of kind of to do about his response in that uh, the Arrested Development presser, but I'm not quite sure how I feel ab- so overall about about like about the second wave being do people understand why why Me Too matters because certainly that is that's a I mean some level it's a generational thing and and as long as it as long as the world is changing I'm not sure that we need to waste a lot of time like finding every old white man that doesn't get it. But, uh, but this is a little sad. No, but that's what I was going to say. It's deeply saddening for someone as theoretically thoughtful as Bill Clinton and who is an integral part of this story, uh, to have not thought deeply about it enough to have this be his response.
0: Yeah. But I think in a way, I think he's, I, I don't know if it's that he hasn't thought about it. I just think it's that Bill Clinton, there's no way, there's no way to explain away a lot of the stuff. You know, if he were to come out and say, you know, you're right. There, you know, is, there are lots of issues of power involved in this that were not maybe, you know, thought yeah. about at the time. Or at least that wasn't the highest priority at the time. I, I recognize what I did was wrong on that level too, not just to my marriage. You know, which was essentially the grounds he was apologizing for the first time, right? Yes. Or a dragging Monica Lewinsky into the spotlight, which is kind of what he was. And and by the way, reminder: Bill Clinton settled a sexual harassment lawsuit while he was president of the United States for a lot of money, for mm-hmm. like eight hundred fifty thousand dollars, if memory serves. Right? Remember, remember when we're doing all these articles, and the existence of those kind of settlements becomes, you know, essentially a bullet point in the person, you know. The case against the person, right? hmm That happened.
1: Yeah, and I, but I think the way, I mean, one of the biggest problem with, I think, Clinton's inability to answer this question, I mean, if, if we assume that he has thought about it in any depth, is that he never really admitted to it. You know, there's the admission, there's the paying the settlement, and there's the apology, but it's kind of hard to have this conversation when you're still stipulating that, like, I'm not going to say the words clearly out loud that I had an affair, that I cheated on my wife while president. Of the United States,
0: right, or that I did something wrong beyond that. I think. I mean, well, I that's mean, what I mean. If you're yeah. not going
1: to say this, if you're not going to say the most basic thing, then how can you like in any way publicly wrestle with the with the the deeper thing?
0: Absolutely, and it's it's really strange. I and mean, I do think we're gonna. I do think there's whatever the second wave of this is, the second or third wave is going to be reconsidering people who went through a scandal at some other point in their lives, right? Or may and maybe got through it under under very different media terms now having to talk about it or face it in a different way I think that'll be uh, sort of a fascinating I
1: mean we've seen that some with Polanski and and Woody Allen although that conversation is sort of ongoing yeah Woody's a good I think Woody's a good example um, and even there's you know at the very beginning there were stories of of people who um, you know actors who where all the accusations were way back when um but but that most of those were was new information. Yeah, I think you're right. Woody Allen's gonna be is an interesting one. that's gonna be sort of litigated moving forward. All right,
0: David, hurry up, offense. Topic number four, high noon, Pablo and Bomani. Yeah, I am. I have extracted myself from the production. I've written a piece. My mind is my mind is 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 full of this stuff. Have you watched the show? I've
1: only watched clips. I haven't watched the whole thing.
0: What yet. did you think from the clips?
1: Um, I mean, I think I was a little bit. I was. I read your piece and read and read a lot of reaction um, online and and you know in the Ringer Slack channel. Um, so I think it was like I, I was, I was less. I wasn't. I certainly, wasn't caught off guard by the camera work, um, which which is just a thing <laughs> the thing that coming affair. up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I liked. I I think overall, I really liked it. Now I like both Bumani Jones and. And Pablo Torre. Uh, I've met Pablo once or twice, but don't know him in any in any depth. Have never met Bomani Jones, but the but uh, I've always thought that I've always liked Pablo's TV presence a lot. Bomani's appear he he's a different sort of personality depending on what show he's on, um, and the way he's being shot. And I thought that there was a way in which the, this show managed to capture his the best side of him, his very human side, his very you know, is he didn't. I don't know. They managed to do a talking head show that didn't feel like, like, overly. Um, uh, I don't know, just overly talking, intentional. Talking yeah, a talking heady. Yeah, it, it felt sort of natural.
0: Which is which is the right home? Eric Ride Home being the creator of the show. Yeah, and PTI. Yes. And, and a lot of other big hits in the sports and Jesus and Marrow, Right. That's the big the one. The trick yeah. is not to make it. The trick is taking a friendship, making it into a television show, and somehow kind of shaving the televisioniness off of it so that the viewer is watching it and having a good time. And, you know, they're, they're, they're formatted right. We go through the topics, all that stuff, but we don't feel like we're watching a staged television show.
1: Yeah, and and we don't have to write on the camera stuff too much, but there's a way in which it just sort of felt like that was all a misdirect that that you – Sort of got blinded by all that to the point where you your brain sort of just just was willing to to just listen to the words sort of or like or engage with the people i don't know I don't know quite i'm sure, I don't know what, how the decision was made, but um, I certainly felt sort of like hypnotized into enjoying the thing a little bit,
0: yeah, it's funny too I mean I think um to your point about Bamani is really interesting because one word I heard a lot from multiple people while reporting the story was that he was. They're trying to soften him in a way. And I think that what, what that means effectively is just make him more comfortable on television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think even right home told me it's like he showed these amazing flashes when he was sitting next to Dan Lebatard on Highly Questionable. How do we create an environment where he feels he can say exactly what he wants? Mm-hmm. Right. He feels like on the radio show, which he would, I think, describe as the purest form of Bomani, or on his podcast. He feels like I can just go. Right. It's exactly what I want in the amount of time. Television's a little bit different, right? It's a little shorter. It's a little more constricted. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the goals of the show was to do that. The big question that just interested me was how you translate a friendship to a TV show. You know, yeah. you and I had an extremely low-level version of that on this podcast. Yeah. You and I have been friends since we were 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Then we sit down and it's like we cannot have the conversation that you and I are going to go have on the park bench outside no. on a podcast. Because everybody will be bored and baffled and just, you know, completely confused as to why they're this is using up their time. Yeah. And that's essentially what Pablo and Bomani had to do. they Bomani's apartment in Miami having these super in-depth out there conversations that they both walked away feeling good about. And then it's like, now how do we make this into a TV show? On ESPN that people will actually watch.
1: Yeah, I think at the most ba- I mean just talking about you and me, I think the most at the most basic level is how do you have how do you how do you have a friend the a conversation between friends that that uh, omits all of the shorthand that's built up over the years. Totally right. And it's, it's hard. And let me tell you, the shorthand
0: is it's not just like in jokes and kind of like starting in the middle of the conversation. Yeah. That's obvious, right? Like you and I started talking about Star Wars. We would just start somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. We would not have to start, set it up for, for ourselves, right? Like right. we would on a podcast. But the other part of it is I think that I saw while they were doing this is you have to – you, you wind up shorthanding why I care about this. Right. If you started talking to me about wrestling or comic books or something like that.
1: Yes. I would or,
0: or be Traver novels. I would instantly <laughs> an actual example, ladies and gentlemen, I would know your stake in that, like why that wasn't really important to you. Yeah. And I could name examples for me to you. Right. But on television, you have to tell the public that. Yeah. Because they don't know. And if they don't know, and so, you know, like one of the things I was watching is just like Pablo literally turning to the camera and saying, here's why I'm interested in Sam Hankey in the process. Mm-hmm. Because maybe the public doesn't know that Pablo wrote about Sam Hankey in the process.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's exactly right. And it's a thing that, I mean, it's a thing that we discuss in general at The Ringer all the time. I mean, I always say just like, don't be afraid to ask the stupid questions, you know, and it's just, I mean, in all various <laughs> walks, but it's like you got to you actually have to, (laughs) is Jim laughing? Why is Jim laughing? How do you You, turn
0: on this mic, Jim?
1: You have to, you have to like, you know, if someone who's, who's, you know, deeply interested in a subject is not going to necessarily be turned off by an explanatory paragraph, you know, but there's a lot of people, even more people are going to need that paragraph. Right. And so, and, and that is a sort of, But that's a difficult, that's a difficult feat to, to to, do, to perform in the context of, like we said, like yeah, translating a friendship to the screen.
0: Especially in media today, right? Because Twitter and the internet pulls us towards insiderdom, right? It pulls us toward in jokes, yeah, shorthand, all that stuff. And then you get television like, oh, this is a person sitting at home at noon, 9, 9 a.m. Pacific, who is, you know, just watching TV, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this person may not have a second screen open. They may not know. They may not have a Twitter account. And you have to make this show somehow speak to them, too. What's your, really, what was your overall take? I really did like the show. I think I think it's going to change pretty enormously. I mean, I don't want to say enormously. I think they're going to make a lot more changes. Just talking to, to Eric right a lot, his whole thing is it's like baseball game. You, you strike out, you know, on day one. And on day two, you come and hit a double. And then by day three, you hope you're stroking it, you know, the other way, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, his thing is... It, it You're not going to do your best show on show one that you're going to do on show fifty. If show one is as good as show fifty, you're done something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. The the difference I think is that Twitter and inside ESPN, they'll just be a lot more patience with this than there is for Get Up. People are actually rooting for this show to work, right? Get Up. There was a lot of people that were not rooting for that to work for various reasons, mm-hmm. and also inside ESPN, by the way, when they saw all those salaries, how much those people were making? Yeah, there was a So I, so to me, it's like. As the first release, this is this is what we got day one and day two. I think it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, okay. I, like I, also that really, I also
0: really like the host. And I like I like essentially that they're trying all the all the stuff, like the music they're talking over and all that stuff now, the letterboxing, because that's the easiest stuff to cut away, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that on day one, you're not going to do that probably on day 50. All right. I, think,
1: I think that's a good way of looking at it.
0: All right, David, topic number five, Roseanne and Arrested Development. Let's start with the latter, because I think the first one's kind of been talked to death. I would like to praise Sopan Deb who wrote the – who conducted the interview and wrote the story that ran the New York Times about Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. Here's how these things can usually go when you get a weirdly bit of controversy like that. You look at your recorder and go, oh, I got that on my recorder. Now let's move back to Arrested <laughs> Development Nostalgiaville because I know I'll have a tweetable news bit, right, yeah. for my piece. I am probably guilty of that. Guess what he did? He went back in and just kept hammering that point home. And it turns out when you keep asking people questions, all the times we're about to talk about NBA press conferences, but when people are like, why did you ask the same question over and over again? Hey, guess what? Sometimes people keep talking. Yeah. And in this case, people were just tying themselves in knots.
1: Well sometimes you ask your, you 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 get lucky enough that other people that people in your interview group were asking each other questions too. <laughs> they
0: they weren't exactly sure what they thought of it either. Yeah, I
1: mean this is obviously this this is the this is the sort of answer to my question earlier about Bill Clinton, like how did they not prepare for this? It's clear that Jason Bateman prepared for this but didn't prepare for the sort of like second <laughs> the second act of it. Right. Um Yeah. You know, we didn't we didn't discuss in Clinton with Clinton and, and Patterson that they probably thought whether or not it was negotiated. They probably thought they were walking into safe territory with Craig Melvin. Um, so. And and this is one where I think I don't whether or not they thought that they were walking. The, the cast of Arrest Development was walking into, a, you know, safe territory. They that there that it would be dealt with, uh, you know, it could be dispensed with pretty easily. This the subject of of Jeffrey Tambor. I think the
0: same thing. They thought it was like the Today show. One question. Yeah. And then we move back to fun stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's it, that it not and and the 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 wild thing is that it wasn't just Jason Bateman not being prepared. And 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 it should be said that he you know came up, popped up on Twitter afterwards and apologized for the whole presentation and, and everything else. Um, the most amazing thing was that they were unprepared to the degree that they. That there were actual revelations in the interview. That should not. That should not. Uh, one would think that in a in the in the era of PR that we live in, that that would not have happened.
0: Well, that was why it was so stunning, right? Yeah, it was uncovering with Jessica Walter, yeah. new facts that they had not bothered to not bother to. Oh, Jeffrey Tambor had this giant scandal on another show. Maybe we should go investigate what happened here mm-hmm. and make sure that didn't happen here. I think you and know that work had obviously you know, not asking, been done completely.
1: Asking the stupid questions. The thing that stuck out to me about this, i, I listen, I, I I get that I get that this show, I mean, Bateman and others said they wouldn't have done the show without jeffrey tambor. and and i and I get that, even for your your most uh, people much more loathsome than Jeffrey Tambor, you know your sometimes your coworkers and friends will stick up for you, and that's a thing. I mean, of all shows for it to be arrested development, where like Jeffrey Tambor was literally off screen in an attic for a lot of the show, like it would have been so easy to do the show without him. Um, it's sort of it's it's even maybe more stunning that they brought him back for this. Um, but I guess he was already
0: taped, right? But when the or they were already oh, filming. was it? Okay. It was already filming. Well, still
1: you? the but the, but but it's you know it's it's no it's it's you no. You can't bring even. in
0: Christopher Plummer uh, halfway through like you did with the uh, <laughs> the Kevin Spacey movie to like recast the part.
1: But you but the, but Arrested Development could have brought in actually, Christopher Plummer. Actually, they probably
0: could have pulled that off. That it would have been, been hilarious. Uh, I'll just say one thing about Roseanne before we move on. Because this is always this always kind of blows my mind. Obviously, she was fired most directly for the Valerie Jarrett tweet. Valerie Jarrett being former Obama White House official who she said was as if the, quote, Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby, which was an objectively racist thing to say. She also tweeted about George Soros. Yes. Being a Nazi who turned in his fellow Jews and stole their wealth. Yeah. During the Holocaust. Do you think if she just done the Soros thing, she still have a show? Well, what's
1: the line? Yeah, I think I think she I think like she,
0: everything was kind of objectionable.
1: I think that. Um, well, number one, there are a lot of people uh, in the you know darker corners of the Internet who believe that it's the Soros tweet that is actually what got her fired. Of course, the, the conspiracy theorists out there think that the Valerie Jarrett tweet was good cover because but anyone that because anyone that slights George Soros is getting. Uh, you know, forcibly removed from whatever, and that, and and they needed cover, you know, they want to keep that under wraps. That's crazy. But also, I think that Soros has this weird thing where he is this, in, he has an incredible amount of power in the conspiracy world, uh, maybe more power than he has in real life. And I think most, I would say most, most people, but certainly most liberals, or not liberals, not the right word, of of the of most human beings who would normally who would clearly be offended by her by her Planet of the Apes tweet. Don't know or particularly care who George Soros is, right? So I don't. I think and and he almost exists as this sort of boogeyman to the far far right conspiracy world, but also just like a fairy tale character to the rest of the world because you hear his name only almost in modern culture, almost exclusively used in conspiracy theorizing. Totally. So he doesn't even have the relevance of like you're you're insulting this this real human being who didn't who was the opposite of a conspirator in Nazi Germany. <laughs> right. Um, I mean that charge is breathtaking. Yeah, but that's very va- I, mean, I mean you hear know, that. The other a thing lot. it's
0: like one hundred percent, well, it's like ninety nine percent of Americans is like the other thing is like this is incredibly racist yeah. and intolerable. The uh, the other thing is is anti Semitic and, unto- and intolerable, by the way. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. It's like they had they had many things to pick from. Let's say that. All right, David, before we go, NBA press conference theater. <laughs> All right. Here is Mark Schwartz and LeBron James having a polite back and forth after J.R. Smith forgot to shoot the ball in Game 1 of the NBA Finals. LeBron, Mark Schwartz, ESPN. From listening to everybody's reaction to the play at the end with J.R. getting the rebound, there's still confusion about whether J.R. thought the game was tied or, the way, or whether he thought you guys were ahead. From where you stood on the court and from talking to him after the play, what, what's your reaction to it? What's your version?
1: What do you mean what's my version?
0: Well... Did he think that the game was tied or did he think that you guys had it salted away
1: how do i know that
0: or did you discuss it at all with him at the end of the play
1: no they asked me if i talked to jr about it. i said no already i knew it was a tie game we met we, we was down one um, george hill went up he made the first one we got the offensive rebound you know i thought we were all aware of what was going on that's my view so I don't know what J.R. was thinking. I don't know the question that you're trying to ask. I was just trying to see if you,
0: you knew exactly what his state of mind was. Did he think that you guys had it won, or did he think he was trying to make a play?
1: No. Not sure. Okay. What do mean I'm not sure? No, I don't know his state of mind.
0: <laughs> did you know if he knew the score? And then LeBron James got up in his sunglasses and suit and shorts. And walked out of the press conference. So I wrote about press conference awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And to me, this this was kind of a fascinating example because this was like, this is one of those things that this these were the this was the right line of inquiry. I'll say that. You can, we can debate whether he asked the right questions or not. Schwartz. Sure. This is the right line of inquiry after the game. This is what you want to know, right? Yeah. Guess what? After a heartbreaking loss, post game interviews are incredibly awkward. They're mm-hmm. Incredibly awkward in the locker room, and what you're taking is that slice of that awkwardness and just putting it on television. Yeah, taking something that happens all the time in game after games all the time and making an international incident out of it because it's on TV, mm-hmm. and everybody goes, "Whoa!" You know, he so he didn't want to answer before. questions and walked away. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that happens. Yeah. Guess what? And guess what? Mark Schwartz asked him a question after game two. What do you think of it?
1: I think that you're. I think I. I think that. Well, I'm very compelled by your what you just said. I think that I from I mean, in the, when you when you yeah I mean it, both points of view. I, I think Mark Schwartz could have framed the question a little bit better or asked it more directly, succinctly. That especially when he got like the second go at it. Um, but that's kind of near, neither here nor there. It's really easy to I mean, it, it's really easy to 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 you know armchair quarterback that as you know when you're talking in real time on a microphone. And for, from LeBron's point, of, but aside from that, I don't really see any problem with it. Um, I think if, if anything, you maybe, you know, change tax a little bit. If you, if, there, if you have more questions, you might expect that sort of, expect the walkout to come or predict it to the point that you protect against it. But from LeBron's point of view, sure. I mean, I'm sure he probably realized in that moment, this is all we're going to talk about from now on. And I don't really feel like talking about it anymore. Yeah, I have a lot to give. He gives a lot every night to these reporters, and this is a thing where it's just like I could repeat myself ad nauseum, but how would I? Like, what am I going to say?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a fun example because he's usually really zen during these things. Yeah, Even and, after and a loss,
1: and he's yes, and 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 has and usually has very, um, you know, smart uh, photographic memory answers, as we you know, we've discussed in recent weeks uh he you know he can he can usually break things down even if it's in the most like anodyne way possible he 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 can he can answer questions with some some depth or at least some length um but yeah i just don't i mean i i don't know i think on some level you're you're pushing to get lebron you're you're pushing for the you know that great tweet you know you're pushing for that that great one liner from him when you but you know that There's so many reasons why he's not going to answer it.
0: See, I I agree though. I think that's, I think that's what people get wrong about this all the time, right? You, there's no downside. Television has created the downside not to push, right? Because you can look like a jackass on national television. Oh yeah, no, no, I get that. But as a reporter, it doesn't. It just doesn't matter. Like you're going to push LeBron James, and all likelihood, he'll be there tomorrow, and it'll be fine, right? Mm -hmm. And if you get that bit of insight. Even if it's a one-liner or whatever about what really happened on that play between him and J.R. Smith, great, you know. Yeah, like that's and people are like, "Why would you make him mad?" Because because you're just trying to get information. That's that's all that guy's trying to do, right? Yeah, it's true. But when you put it on TV, he looks like oh, that big bad reporter made LeBron mad. And now we have a GIF of LeBron walking off stage with his like head in the air in this really bizarre way. <laughs> that is going to become one of the all-time right. Yeah, I know right? I agree. I don't
1: think there's any. I don't. I don't. I don't. I think it's. <sighs> we're it's litigation. I mean, we're litigating it for the sake for its own sake, right? Yeah,
0: All right, David. That's a fast forwarded edition of the press box. Take a deep breath. Thanks to our producer Jim Cunningham for rolling with us back next week and And we mean it this time with more takes about the media. See you later, David.
1: See you later, Brian. guys
0: be better tomorrow
1: now I always say just like don't be afraid to ask the stupid questions you know and it's just